Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this opportunity to be together midweek. We thank you for your grace and mercy revealed to us and sent to us through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the opportunity to look at your word tonight and to hear what you have to say to us. And we pray that you might help us to truly understand what it is that you have for us in your word. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of having, as uh, Levi mentioned to us, the Bible in our own language so that we might read your word clearly and understand the blessing of your sacred words for our life. Your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We hide your word in our hearts that we might not sin against you. We pray now, Lord, that you would take us back in our minds and help us to understand these early days as you were seeking to do your work of salvation, the salvation of Israel so that we might be saved through the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the story of salvation throughout the pages of the Word of God from the beginning and the promise to crush the head of the serpent all the way to the end and the great glorious victory that we have in heaven and a new heaven and a new earth to come. We pray for those who cannot be with us, those who are sick, those who are discouraged and in despair. We pray for those who are the special ones in our life that are without God, who are without hope, who are lost in their sins. May you stir us that we might be your people and share the gospel with them as we can. So teach us now during this time in your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, good evening. Good to see all of you and those of you who are joining us. Uh, online. May the Lord bless you. Come be with us when you can. If you have your Bibles, I hope you do. Exodus chapter 15 and you can pick up a copy of the outline uh, at the sides uh, there as we come along. We saw this great glorious second. Uh, there, the first time God saved Israel was in Egypt at Passover and we know that story. And uh, now we see the great and amazing, miraculous story of the Lord saving Israel at uh, the Red Sea. So let's read some. So before we read um, Exodus 15 uh, tonight, the focus is that Israel worshiped the God who saved them. Israel worships the God who saves them. That's what uh, Exodus 15 is about. In fact, it's the first song recorded in Scripture, and it is a song of salvation. But before we do that, let's go back to Exodus 14, and I want to read just a couple of verses. Verse 9, uh, Exodus 14, 9, Then the Egyptians chased after Israel with all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his armies, and they overtook them camping by the sea. Uh, And verse 10, As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. And then we come to verse 30 and 31, after Israel has crossed the Red Sea, and Moses has been commanded to raise his hands again, and the seas closed on Pharaoh uh, Pharaoh's horses and, and uh, soldiers. Thus the Lord saved Israel, verse 30, that day 
from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in His servant Moses. And so then we naturally go into these next wonderful verses. We'll read the Word of God and allow the Word of God to speak to us. Then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord, for He is highly exalted. The horse and its rider He has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise Him. My Father's God, and I will extol Him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is His name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea, and the choicest of his officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deeps cover them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. And in the greatness of your excellence, you overthrow those who rise up against you. You send forth your burning anger, and it consumes them as chaff. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters were piled up. The flowing waters stood up like a heap. The deeps were congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be gratified against them. I will draw out my sword, my hand will destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them, they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? You stretched out your hand, the earth swallowed them. In your loving kindness you have led the people whom you have redeemed. In your strength you have guided them to your holy habitation. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Anguish has gripped the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom were dismayed, and the leaders of Moab trembling grips them. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. By the greatness of your arm they are motionless as stone until your people pass over, O Lord, until the people pass over whom you have purchased. You will bring them and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. For the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea. And the Lord brought back the waters of the sea on them. But the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea. Miriam the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out with, after her with timbrels and with dancing. Miriam answered them, 
Sing to the Lord, for He is highly exalted. The horse and his rider He has hurled into the sea. Now, Heavenly Father, bless the reading of Your Word. May the Holy Spirit of God be our teacher now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we have now a song. A song has verses and chorus. Verses and chorus. Just like our brothers and sisters do for us uh, every Wednesday night. And we are a spoiled people, aren't we? To have these who sing and share, for, aren't, don't we? Who lead us in worship and we thank God for them. But here we have chorus and verses. We do not know the tune. It doesn't matter. But here we see this first song of salvation in Scripture which is being sung to the Lord. I don't want to spend too much time here but to remind us all that singing in church is not entertainment. Singing in church is not some form of, of entertainment like going to a concert and listening to singers and musicians. Our worship is to, to our God. Our singing is to our God. The musicians play to our God. We worship in spirit and in truth. And our words, uh, our words are these words that we sing to the Lord. So because of the great salvation that Israel has now enjoyed, they stand in the, they stand in the Egyptian wilderness just having crossed over the Red Sea and they sing a song of salvation. They sing a song of salvation in the wilderness. Not in the promised land. In the wilderness they sing. You see, to praise God only comes from those who have been saved by God. You know, there's sometimes uh, my brothers who, uh, who lead in uh, ministry and worship, I've listened to the days and they wring their hands and they worry and they say, well, some people just don't want to uh, praise God. Well, they're maybe not saved. If you're not saved, you won't praise God. You have no interest in praising God. And if you come to church, uh, sometimes people come out of curiosity because they want to hear uh, beautiful music or hear someone speak or for some other reason. But if you're saved, you will praise God. Those who have been saved by God praise God. It is the natural response of those who are born again. And they sang their song of praise to God. We don't know how they sang it, but we must look first at the structure, and I've given it to you here. And I should have done a little bit better job in my uh, outline, but I'll give it to you this way. First, we have the chorus at the beginning and the end of the song. We have the chorus in verse number, uh, verse number 1. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. There's the chorus. Then we have verse number 1 in verses 2 and 3. The Lord is my strength and song, and He has become my salvation. This is my God, I will praise Him. My Father's God, and I will extol Him. The Lord is a warrior, and the Lord is His name. Praise God. There's verse 1. Verse number 2 begins in verse number 4 and goes through verse number 12. And we'll look at it in more detail. It is that God saves from the enemy. The first, the chorus is that He saves us completely. The horse and the rider He has hurled into the sea. The, the first verse is that He is our source of salvation. The Lord is my strength and my song, and we'll see it in just a moment. I'll go into some detail. 
The, third, the, the second verse is, He saves from the enemy. That's verses 4 through 12. And then in verse number 13 is the third verse that begins there and moves on down from verse number 13 all the way down through verse 17. And the verse here is He leads His people to rest. He leads His people to rest. And then we come back to the chorus with two pieces to the chorus. Verse 18, He reigns forever. The Lord reigns forever. And then Miriam, the sister of Aaron and Moses, sings again. It's like a refrain. It's like a chorus again repeated. Sing to the Lord for He is highly exalted. The horse and the rider He has hurled into the sea. So, chorus to begin. That's the theme. This is the theme. It's repeated twice. Anything repeated multiple times in the Word of God must call for our attention. So what is this call? What is this praise? The horse and its rider, the horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. So let's think about this for a moment. As they praise God for His complete salvation. They were afraid of these Skill, these, these, uh, these uh, Israelites knew the skill and the, the power of the Egyptian army. They were the world power of the time. They were the power of powers. They knew the horse and rider of Egypt and the power of the horse and rider uh, to control their parts of the world. Well, when they saw them coming after them, they were, they were greatly afraid. We saw that in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 14. So we think about this Egyptian arrogant power. The horse and rider, that was what they put their, Egypt put their confidence. Why shouldn't they? They had great victories because of horse and rider. The horse and rider was a picture of their arrogance and their power and their self-confidence. Uh, the horse and rider was a picture of their intimidating presence. If you're surrounded by horses and riders and they're thundering along, I don't know if any of you have ever been a, around a large group of horses and uh, riders all in one moving together, it's quite a powerful experience. It's very intimidating. It makes you feel rather uh, weak and, and afraid. And so the horse and rider demonstrates the Egyptians' arrogant power, their intimidating presence, and their anger in attacking to destroy God's people, Israel. And the Egyptians' horse and rider represent their self-confident assurance. Why there are times later on when Israel is in land of promise and they're living in backslidden condition, and what are they doing? They're going out making agreements with Egypt and with all of these powers around to gain their horses and their stuff so that they can have a strong army rather than trusting in God. And the prophets of God speak about that. But what does God do to man's horse and rider? What does, God, what does He do? He destroys them completely. God destroys Egypt's attacks. He hurls them into the, into the sea. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. That's the word. That's the theme. That's the message of the song. It is a song of salvation. God destroys Egypt's intimidation, their attacks, their complete rebellion against God, 
and their refusal to obey God's word from His messengers, uh, Moses and Aaron. And so God's final judgment, they're in the sea, the seas come over them. And then we read verse 30 of chapter 14, And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. God's judgment is complete. God's judgment when it comes is final. And as I've repeatedly said, God's judgment cannot be stopped by man. So we see first of all, the chorus breaks out. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. They, pray, they speak this to God. Then Israel praises the Lord's character. Here we see them begin to speak of God's perfections. His perfections. Now let me read this a little bit differently to you. I want you to see how each of these sections uh, focus on the perfections and majesty and glory of God. So we see the first of these, uh, these uh, sections. It's laced all through the song. In each verse you have a section that praises God for His perfections. Notice the first. Here we have verse 1. The Lord is my strength and song, and He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise Him. My Father's God, and I will extol Him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is His name. Verse number 6. Your right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. And in the greatness of your excellence, you overthrow those who rise up against you. You send forth your burning anger, and it consumes them. You find also as you go on down, who is like you among the gods? Verse 11, O Lord. Answer, none. Who is like you, majestic in holiness? Notice, majestic, verse 6, majestic in power. Now we see majestic in holiness. Awesome in praises, working wonders. You stretch out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. And then the glory of verse 13. Now look at the contrast. In your loving kindness, you have led the people whom you have redeemed. In your strength, you have guided them to your holy habitation. And then in verse 16, by the greatness of your arm, they are motionless as stone. And finally, you will bring them and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance and Verse 18, the Lord shall reign forever and ever. I, I would say to you tonight, as you go home, this will be, this will be the freshest uh, part of God's Word you've had on your mind, at least as you approach uh, bedtime. I would challenge you to find the time just to take those little sections and speak praise to God in these very words. Say to Him, because they speak of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our God. He is the great God. He is the God of all salvation. The Red Sea was an event in history, but nothing to compare with salvation in Jesus Christ. And so the Lord is my strength. Out beside it, the Lord Jesus Christ is my strength. The Lord Jesus Christ is my song. I sing about the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus has become my salvation. This is my God, I will praise Him, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
my Father's God, I will extol Him. The Lord is a warrior. What do we see in the book of Revelation? That picture of the, that beautiful, beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus on that horse with on His side written the Word of God coming in vengeance. The Lord Jesus is coming again. A, a terrible day. A day of judgment that will come upon the earth when the day of the Lord comes. He is a Savior and warrior and the Lord is His name. Yahweh is His name. Yahweh. Remember, what did, what did Moses first teach this man Moses and Israel? I am has sent me. I am has sent me. Do you know the great I am, the Lord Jesus Christ? I hope you do. I hope you know Him tonight. Those who know the Lord Jesus Christ sing praise to His name. You don't have to be coerced into it. You don't have to be convinced of it. You don't have to be talked into it. The music tune doesn't have to be right or wrong. You praise God even when you don't know a tune. You praise God because you've been saved by God. So, we go on now to verse 2. Israel sings the song of salvation over their enemies. Pharaoh's chariots, here's the verse. Verse 4, Pharaoh's chariots and his army, he is cast into the sea. And the choicest of his officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deeps cover them. They went down into the depths like stone. Your right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power, as we just read. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. And in the greatness of your excellence, you overthrow them. At the blast of your nostrils, verse 8, the waters were piled up, the flowing waters stood up like heaps, the deeps were congealed in the heart of the sea. But now we come to this praise, this praise of God in His judgment over the arrogant sinner. Please pay attention to these words. Why will God judge sinners who will not repent? Because of their arrogance and pride and their dependence upon themselves in their sin. Listen to these words of pride. The enemy said, the enemy said, notice how many times I will is put here. The enemy said, I will pursue. The enemy said, I will overtake. The enemy said, I will divide the spoil. The enemy said, my desire shall be gratified against them. The enemy said, I will draw out my sword. The enemy said, my hand will destroy them. That's what the wicked says toward God. You know, I've mentioned this before. The Lord Jesus said that in that great and terrible day of terrible and horrible tribulation, when the judgments of God fall, Man won't cry out to be saved. He'll cry for the mountains to fall on him. The lost man in his wickedness would rather the mountains fall on him than be saved and repent of his sin. That's how strong pride is that keeps people from being saved. And I would ask you today, aren't you glad that God broke your stubborn pride so that you could be saved? Aren't you glad? Boy, I am. I still battle with it every day. But here we see, the enemy says, I will. That's what, the enemy, that's what the sinner says. I will. I will do this. I will prevail. I will overcome. I don't need God. I'm not going to hear anything from God. So the song, this second verse, breaks into this great praise 
of how God overthrows the arrogant armies of Pharaoh and He saves them from their enemy. Think about how we have been saved from our enemy. You know, Satan said, I will, didn't he? Satan said, I will. Lucifer said, I will be like the Most High. We learn that in the, in, in the prophets of the Old Testament as we get some little glimpses of Lucifer, that glorious angel who chose to say, I am going to be God and I will be like God and led that great rebellion of those angels and they were judged and fell and, the, and Satan, our adversary, still thinks he's going to win. What a fool he is. What a fool he is. I will, says the devil. I will blind the minds of the unbelieving so that they will not hear the gospel and believe. I will intimidate God's people so that they will not share the gospel. I will, I will hold over their heads the fear of death so that they will not do what they should do. Again, I'm simply saying, think about the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. It is breaking the power of Satan in order that we might be saved and be delivered. What did Paul say? We've been delivered, we've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Aren't you glad to be saved tonight? Salvation in the Lord Jesus is real. So God overthrows the arrogant Pharaoh, uh, the arrogant armies of Pharaoh. He saves from the enemy. The enemy boasts his victory and God destroys them. And then we come to this. I want to come back to it again. How can we not say it? So the enemy says, I will. And then what does verse 10 say? You blew with your wind. The sea covered them and they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you? Who is like you? Maybe tonight when you go home, you think about who is like the Lord our God? What does our song say that we sing? Who is like the Lord our God? Strong to save. Strong to save. Faithful in love. That's what we sing. We sing that all the time in our church. Who is like you among the gods? No one. Who is like you majestic in holiness? Here we see the majesty of God seen in, in His works. How did uh, John say it about our Lord? We beheld His glory. We saw the glory of Jesus Christ. Glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John is writing his gospel to describe us to, for us the majesty, the majesty of God. So in His perfection, He is majestic in power. Verse number 6. And uh, then we see that He is majestic in holiness, verse 11. And He is awesome in praises, verse 11. And He works wonders. And the greatest wonder of all is that He would save sinners like us. That's the greatest wonder of all. That sinners could be saved. And He stretches His right hand out, uh, right hand out in the earth swallows them. So then we come to verse number 3. Verse number 1, He saves completely. Verse number 2, He is the source of our salvation and victory over the enemy. 
Uh, verse number two, or, or verse number two, yes, is he saves from the enemy and then he leads the people to rest. Now, what a different tone the song comes to have in verse 13. We sense this power and majesty and glory and that the Lord is our strength and He is our song and He is our salvation. And we see His right, His majestic power and His majestic holiness uh, in the face of judging sinners who will not uh, repent and who come after to destroy God's people. But now, if we were musicians, the tone would change. Maybe the, maybe the volume drops and we, we sense and feel now something different. From this point on, this song is prophetic. Israel did not know exactly what they were doing, but they were singing prophecy. They were singing prophecy. Remember, they're in the wilderness. They just got out of Egypt. They carried all, this, all of the things that the Egyptians gave them. They brought it all out. They have all of their animals. They have everything. They have been perfectly preserved and saved at Passover, and now they've been saved again, crossing over the sea, and there they stand with the dead Egyptians on the seashore and they fear God and trust God and they sing to God. But now the tone changes. In your loving kindness, you have led the people whom you have redeemed. That's for you tonight. Where am I at tonight? Brother, brother you know, Levi was on it. Uh, the, the, the songs we heard tonight and sang were just right. Remember tonight, wherever you are, wherever you are in your journey with the Lord, as you are on this narrow path, remember these wonderful words. In loving kindness, the Lord leads the people He redeems. Aren't you glad of that? The Lord didn't save you and say, okay, here's the narrow path and look, Good luck and, and I'll see you in heaven. It doesn't work like that. That's not the way God works. He leads us by the Holy Spirit. He gives us the Word of God. He gives us traveling companions. Here you are. Here you are. And we march together to Zion. We move our way and the Lord leads us. He leads us. We're going to see that again. We saw it before. A pillar of cloud. This strange, amazing uh, presence of the Lord there, the angel of the Lord, there in the pillar of cloud, leading Israel. The Lord leads us in loving kindness. God, why are you putting me through this? The Lord, in your loving kindness, you have led your people. We already know, some of us, most of us in this room, I know you very well. You know what's going to happen in Exodus here. We're, we're about to turn the page and lo and behold, the Lord leads, is this a joke? In your loving kindness, you have led the people whom you have redeemed. They're, they're, in a, they're, on, they're on the mountaintop praising God in salvation. And lo and behold, they go, they go right out and, and now they're, they're out in the wilderness and they go three days and they have nothing to drink. And lo and behold, this terrible leader they have leads them to a pool of water that is bitter. And they're already mad again. Lord, why are you doing this in my life? Why are you causing these things to happen to me? Why are you leading like this? In your strength you have guided them to your holy habitation. You must take these words as I must 
and sing them to the Lord. And you must sing them when you're in the lowest condition and when you're in the highest, happiest condition. It does not matter. In your loving kindness you have led your people whom you have redeemed. And the Lord Jesus, as we'll see Sunday as I talk about hope in God, because of our great high priest, we have one who is our high priest, who is alive today in heaven, who is our forerunner. He's gone before us to make a new and living way. It's already done. In His loving kindness, He leads us because we are redeemed. Are you glad about that tonight? I'm getting myself worked up. I hope you hear what I'm saying. Because I'm saved, He leads me in loving kindness, though there are hard things that come in my life. Now we have prophecy. The peoples have heard. Oh boy. You know, people in Dixon hear things, don't they? The people have heard. Boy, now, wait a minute. The Egyptians are dead on the seashore, but wait a minute. They're going to the promised land. And on their way to the promised land, now the song tells us the people in the promised land are in terror of God and His greatness. The people have heard. They tremble. Anguish has gripped the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom, so Philistia, Edom, were dismayed. The leaders of Moab, trembling, grips them. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. By the greatness of your arm, they are motionless as stones, notice, until your people pass over, O Lord, until the people pass over whom you have purchased. There is, there is um, when God does His work among His people and we demonstrate what it means to be saved by the way we live, listen to me, lost people are afraid. They don't know quite what to do when they meet really saved people. It strikes fear into their hearts. Why are these people different? Or if it's someone in their family that gets saved, what happened to them? Why do they act like this now? Why are they different? Why don't they care about the things they used to care about? It was like one fellow was talking about uh, a Christian, a man who was a tremendous athlete. This was a man, a man who was not saved in the family. And they were interviewing uh, this man and talking about some things. And, and uh, I caught this interview. I don't even remember what it was, but I've never forgotten what he said. This man was not a Christian, but they were talking about how this athlete had come to Christ. And the man said... Well, the Lord Jesus has ruined a good athlete. Do you hear what he's saying? Because athletics didn't matter anymore to this saved man. What mattered to him was following Jesus. Yeah, the Lord has ruined a lot of good, worldly, wicked businessmen. The Lord has ruined a lot of good, successful moms. But they were all lost. Yeah, you're ruined. That's right. We're ruined to the world. We're a, all you care about is Jesus. Yes. You know. Have had a little bit more seriousness about your job and less thought about your God. I can go on. But now there's, there's a prophecy. All of these nations where they are headed, 
are afraid. They are motionless. They are filled with dread and fear. And so what happens? The Lord, the promise comes, you will bring them, the people of God, and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance. Oh, Zion, Mount Zion, Jerusalem is a very special place, yet with things to happen, yet with things to happen. Yes, Zion is that beautiful city of God described, which is a picture of heaven, but Zion, the place, Jerusalem, is significant yet to come in human history at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And things have not yet been finished. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your dwelling. God chose Zion, Jerusalem, Mount Zion. That is the place where the temple of God was to be placed, was to be put. And this is the glorious picture of Jerusalem and Israel and I remind you, our Lord Jesus went to Mount Zion all the days of His life. He didn't start His public ministry till He was 33 years old. He went to festival. He was faithful as a rabbi. He read the scrolls. He did what He did, but He was at Mount Zion. He was there at the temple. You will bring them and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your dwelling. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. And then we come to this great chorus again. The Lord shall reign forever. The reign of God is always tied to the mountain of God. The reign of God is always tied to the mountain of God. And the mountain of God is Mount Zion. Mount Zion. Well, then there is just a textual statement in verse 19. Narrative. The horses of, the horses of Pharaoh with his uh, chariots and horsemen went into the sea. The Lord brought back the waters of the sea. The sons of Israel walked on the dry land through the midst of the sea. And then Miriam sings praise to God. The women dance and praise God. And again, we have a second time the great singing of the theme. Sing to the Lord, for He is highly exalted. The horse and its rider He has hurled into the sea. Now I have five minutes to ask you to turn over to Revelation 15 because we find that uh, John hears the song of Moses again in the Revelation as he is given this vision of all of the scenes and pictures, the various things that occur in heaven, there is now another appearance uh, where uh, he sees a sign in the heavens, great and marvelous, and he sees something. This is uh, Revelation 15.2. John says, I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and those who had been victorious over the beast, and his image and the number of his name standing on the sea of glass holding harps. These are the tribulation saints. These are those who are the tribulation saints. And they sang, the tribulation saints sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb. There's no two songs that, need, that must go together better than the song we've just looked at of salvation, the salvation of God through Israel, and then the salvation 
and the song of the Lamb. The song of the Lamb is found in Revelation 5 and I've copied it at the bottom. The song of Moses is sung as we've just read it and then the song of the Lamb is sung but then we have these refrains that are added by these tribulation saints that John records for us. Look at these now. These are phrases for you and for me. This teaches us how to praise. You know, I don't, know, I don't learn how to praise because someone writes a good song. I learn how to praise by taking the very words of God and speaking them back to God. That's what I do. I praise God with His words. Notice, great and marvelous are your works, O Lord, God, El Shaddai, Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed, which is a promise regarding the millennial reign of Christ in Jerusalem. Literally, when He is there reigning and ruling for a thousand years on the earth in Jerusalem. Notice, your works, in the first phrase, are great and marvelous. Your ways are righteous and true. Your name is alone holy. And your righteous acts have been revealed. What will it be like when the Lord Jesus Christ sits on the throne in Jerusalem? Well, all the nations will come and worship before Him. Oh, we're not done yet. The world thinks that this whole matter of Jesus is a matter of the past. The world thinks that technology is their God. The world bows to technology, the gods of technology. The world bows to themselves. I will do it. I will overcome. The world, the world rejects. The world is antichrist. But the world will one day see the glorious reign for a thousand years on this earth in Jerusalem of the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 66, 4, All the earth will worship before you and sing praises to you. They will sing praises to your name. Oh, what a day it will be when the president or emperor of China, whatever he'll be called by then, bows. When all the mullahs bow. When all the Democrats and Republicans bow. When the president bows. It's going to be a great day. It's going to be a glorious day. When they bow. When they bow. It will come about that any who are left of all the nations that went against Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to celebrate the Feast of Booze. And it shall be from new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath all mankind will come to bow down before Me, says the Lord. And from that verse I am convinced that Paul begins to describe what is only the beginning of what happens for eternity in Philippians, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, 
For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God. They will reign upon the earth. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power, riches, and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing to Him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb be blessing, and honor, and glory, and dominion forever and ever. How can we pray any better than that or sing? Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you.